everybody once again, and welcome. If I missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC. I'm crackling. Uh, it's a little strange. <laughs> hopefully, we, hopefully that doesn't keep happening. Uh, but anyway, it's great to be with you today, and today we are continuing a conversation. We're actually in the series finale of uh, what we're calling uh, Best Ever, and we are it's essentially a three-week series. We're talking about how you can have the best relationships ever. And so we talked uh, at the beginning about marriage and how you can have the best marriage ever. And last week we talked about friendships, how to have the best friendships ever. And today um, we are talking about how to have the best sex ever. Yep, I said it. That's right. Um, said that out loud. YouTube might be shutting us down right now. I don't know. I clicked. This is not for kids. And in fact, just for those in attendance today, this is a little bit of a hot topic, right? So we have an amazing kids program that's happening right now from ages six weeks all the way through elementary school that we would love to engage you with today. And so you may want to come check that out. Our team would love to show you that space. Um, it's, it's very purposeful for them, and uh, we love it. And they will have a blast way more than they would like hearing me. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> My kids would love to tell you that too. Uh, Daddy's boring. And so uh, there you go. So, um, but yeah, I said that. And uh, we, I want you to know uh, God's beauty for you. Thanks, guys, for your understanding with that. There you go. They took me up on the offer. Um, that's great. So, um, so speaking of kids... And hot topics, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for 14 years, and we have three kids. Yep, and um, so we've been busy. Uh, we've been productive, as you could, you could understand. And, and so, you know, culture says, all right, kids and uh, getting busy in your marriage can kind of ruin the intimacy and ruin the physical side of your relationship. And I just want to say that's not true. Uh, that's not true at all. It does not have to be true. And we've had incredibly busy times. There was one point in time early on in our marriage with young kids that I had two jobs and didn't have uh, a lot of time. And so, uh, but this is something that's been an important part of our lives, whether we've been incredibly busy or life's been crazy or chaotic, because that's happened many times in our lives. We've, been, we've had to move several times. We've been flooded out of our apartment and all these different things. And, and, but as life increases, all those different things, it's, it's easy to get pushed apart from one another and that doesn't have to be true. It says, culture says, you know, having kids or your business or our busyness and work and all these different things can ruin this part of your life. And I want to say that's not true. It can ruin intimacy. This is a myth. So what, what is different? What's different? And I would say it's our understanding of what sex is. And, our, and then for us as a married couple, our commitment to it and how important it is for our lives. And so today, as we engage this topic, this incredibly important topic, I want you to know three big things, that it's beautiful, that it's beautiful, it's sacred, and it, that it's powerful, the second one, and that it affects you deeply. I believe if we understand these three big things, it can change how we interact with this and set us up for incredible beauty and intimacy in our lives. I want you to know today that as we talk about this subject, I'm here to fight for your future. I care about you deeply. I'm here to fight for your future, not to belittle your past, but to have a conversation that many times we, 
we don't really engage in. And if we are learning to be wise and to have the best relationships, then we want to learn how to do this well. So I think this is the antenna. Maybe if I can, I move around a lot. This is the problem. We'll see. Okay. So uh, this is interesting. Some facts about how we love to come together. All right. So, you know, dating apps are, are, are very, a big deal. I'm a big fan of them, by the way. I love, I'm a fan of people getting together and connecting. My wife and I met online, so I'm a big fan of it. Tinder, Tinder is generally considered the most used app. Uh, averages about 1.6 billion swipes a day. It's like a trillion swipes a year, uh, over a trillion. Now, if you add Bumble, OkCupid, and all the other ones, the end of that, like, it just goes massively up. It's just huge. In the U.S., this is all U.S. figures, by the way. In the U.S., there's uh, estimated to be about 50 million active users on dating apps. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, and so it makes it, it's made it easier which I think is a great thing, but it also makes the whole like just quick relationship to hit it, quit it type of things and just to move on. That makes that much easier as well. And, and so it just kind of constantly pushes us into this fast paced type of environment where, where you feel like you can just engage and then throw away in relationships. And it's amazing as we encounter this topic in our lives, it's just everywhere constantly in culture and, as, and our identity in this is being pushed more and more to where it just needs to be part of your life and be as common as possible. We encounter it everywhere, and so it's in front of us. But what we don't talk about when it comes to this subject is beauty and how sacred something is and how incredible, how, how, how unique this part of our lives should be. And we've lost the beauty because it's become so common. And what we're learning in this series is to trust God with our relationships, to trust God with our relationships. And that really means in all areas. And I would say this is one out of everything that we just at the most say, say to God, no, I don't think you really understand this part. Like you don't really care about this part of our lives. And I would say, unfortunately, the church has been behind that. They've just kind of pushed God out of this conversation and they've made it so negative in the past that it's just like, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll engage God, but not with this. And so we're learning that he really does have our best in mind. And the key scripture for us is Psalm 32. Where it says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do we really believe that? I believe there's some things where like, God, I need you in this. I trust you in this. And then others come up or like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Do we know that this is his pursuit for us? He wants to lead you to beauty. And so I want us to understand these three big principles. And we're going to start with the first one. And it's this. Sex is beautiful. It's something that is incredibly sacred and amazing. And it's, and it's, and it's designed for us to experience beauty. At its original design, it's for you and I to experience incredible beauty. I'm just going to make this statement, all right? God wants you to have amazing sex. We're just going to say that out loud and just get it out there for everybody today, all right? Uh, he does. And I like, like, you wouldn't believe, like, you should read scripture sometimes. If you ever read just like the Song of Songs, it will, like, it's, it will make you blush. Like, it's crazy. Like, uh, God has made us for this. He, he gave it to us. 
But we have kind of made it incredibly common and we've lost that beauty. We don't really believe that that could be true. We actually want it to be true, but we don't always experience that. Three years ago, we talked about this subject. We did a whole series on it. And if you were with us then, you'll remember, like we put, we had a pineapple and we put it in this dome glass case and we set it out and we had a spotlight on it, the whole series. My kids, now that they're getting older, they're 10, 11, and 12, like they're beginning to understand now what that meant. They did, we, at the time, they didn't know. They're like, wait, that represented what? <laughs> and, and what was amazing is there was a time and place in history. This is why we put it out there. When the point in time in our history of the world where the taste of a pineapple would have been a defining moment in a person's life. No, I mean, can you imagine this? And at its height, adjusting for inflation and currency and everything, we, it's estimated that people would have had to pay like $8,000 or more. Inflation has gone up a little bit recently, so maybe it's like 10000 now. I don't know. But, I mean, isn't that crazy? And many times they would not even eat it. They would just put it on display. Because it was so incredibly rare and unique. Only the ultra, like, rich, wealthy royals would ever. And so, like, it would have been something that somebody would have been talking, and they'd be talking about the pineapples, and like, oh, oh, I've seen a pineapple. And be like, no, no, get out. That's, no, you're lying. You're lying. You've seen, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was working for the castle. Like, I was serving at this big banquet they did, and I saw it. And so, like, oh, wow. Like, like I'm serious. I would say something modern day would be like somebody who like, it gets incredibly rich and they just buy a bunch of top-line cars. Like, yeah, I own this specific model of Lamborghini or whatever. Like, I can't even drive it. I would wreck it. Uh, sometimes you see that happen. Like, celebrities just wreck. They don't know how to drive these things. Like, they just, but I've got it. There it is. That's what this was. And now it's two bucks. They just slice it for you. Just go in it. You don't even see the pineapple. You just have a container. It's there. It's so incredibly common. And then there's the Steinway Piano. Like, if you don't know anything about pianos or music, you've, you've probably heard of this Steinway piano. It's re- re- revered by pianists all over the world. It's only made in two places. One's over here in Queens. And, and it's so incredibly special. It's very expensive to buy. But what's amazing is, like, older used, so to speak, Steinways many times have greater value than the new ones do because they get better and better with time. And people will pay more for that. Like if I've heard it, like they've been caught in a fire and they're restored, they still retain incredible value. It's amazing. And so people, like guitars are this way, like if less old Les Pauls from decades ago sell for unreal amounts of money because they've, they've gotten better. Their value increases over time because they're better. And so something that is common, we just throw away. We're like, that's not a big deal. Like the pineapple. And you'll, now that you know this, like you'll see it. You'll see it at the top of the cathedrals. And you're like, why is there a pineapple on a cathedral? Like it's on the top of the Wimbledon trophy. Like I was watching the Wimbledon championships with my wife a year or so ago. And they were doing the presentation. This huge giant silver trophy. And on the top of it is a pineapple. <laughs> it represents, because it's old enough that that was, but now it's just so common. And so for sex, sex diluted it's lost. It's lost. It was made to be special. It was made to be special. And, and this is the way God designed it to be. And so as God has designed it for you and I, 
is that we would see sex happen in our lives in only one very specific, very guarded, and very controlled context, and that is the marriage bed. That there would only be one person who would be naked before you and unashamed. Out of all the billions of people on earth, you would be in a club so exclusive it only has one member, and that is you. And the two of you together would enjoy this treasure and this gift And this secret and this delight that like a fine wine would just get better and better with time, with time. You would never be lying there comparing your partner's performance to previous partners or wondering about your performance because of the same things. You would never be fighting against images that were trapped in your mind that you saw starting back in sixth grade that you never realized would hang there with you. It takes years to forget what you have seen and saw. We never realize how deeply all these decisions that we made in the past affect us. I talked in week one about marriage and how we walk into our marriage and we have a big thing of luggage that we bring in and we think that this is the new beginning and we cross this line and we say, I do, that all this just kind of goes away, but no, we bring it all with us. And whether you believe me on all of this or not, And if you're pursuing God, this is something to really think about. And for Christ followers, we even struggle as well in our culture. But it's amazing how this physical act still leads us to marriage. It moves us into this moment of commitment because there's such an incredible connection that happens there. But many don't believe me in this. And listen, I want to say I get it. I get it because it's been wrecked. It's become so common and marriage just in general has been wrecked over the decades after decades. And, and so, so many decades ago, marriage began to be this thing that people are just like, it's just a commitment that you've got to make. And, and from a religious point of view, like it's important that you don't break it or else the world ends. And they would just have these terrible marriages and they would just stick it out. And so their kids came along and said, I'm not going to be in that kind of awful situation. And so things got bad and things got hard. They just said, you know, we're going to divorce. And then the next generation comes along and we're like, like this divorce is, is broken, it just wrecks everything. And so we're just going to kind of try to avoid that altogether. And so let's just enjoy the physical benefits of the relationship. And maybe if everything's okay, we'll make the commitment of marriage. Let's keep the great things that we can see and avoid the bad as much as we can. We're not doing a great job with that either. And we've lost the beauty. We've lost the incredible picture of intimacy and oneness and and all of that that God longed for you and I to experience in that marriage relationship. We've lost the beauty. And I want you to know I love my marriage. I love it. I'm so incredibly grateful. It's amazing. It's red hot, all right? I'm just going to say that. My wife is leading our kids right now, so she's not in here. So there you go. She just, you, guys, she, you guys just shake her head when she, when she walk out today. But there, it's, I would say it's full of passion. We need to, say, you need to hear people saying this out loud. We only hear about the drama, right? The, the, the good marriages are, you know, it's like, well, I have a great marriage. Okay. Like, you don't hear this thing. It's boring, right? The TV shows are all about the wreckage, right? Like that's what we're drawn to. I love it. It's an incredible partnership. It is a haven for me when when I struggle, 
When my wife struggles, when we both are going through hard times together, it's a place for us. Those, those hard moments draw us together, even when we have conflict with one another. It's something that, because of how we pursue Christ, eventually pulls us more together in unity into a one person, as, as Christ had for it to be designed for our lives. And it should be something that is desired for all of us. It is it brings stability for my kids. And so Christ wants to call us back and to bring us back to the beauty. It's beautiful. And as a pineapple now is just easy come, easy go. And if sex is everywhere and common and all over the place, and no wonder where we've come to situations where we feel like I'm surrounded by it, but none of it's really fulfilling. None of it really satisfies. And so common is the opposite of special. And we want to recognize and know it's made to be special and beautiful. And, and I want to encourage you to fight for it to be special. Put out the things in your life that want to pull you away from the beauty. It's beautiful. The second thing is this, is that sex is powerful. It is powerful. I mean, I don't have to explain this too well for you, but like it's everywhere. If, you, if any of you are marketing, like we know this, like it's all over marketing. And every prominent show that we watch, whatever platform you're watching on, it's usually a centerpiece of that show. And it's become even more aggressive, I would say, in culture over the last several years because we know how incredibly powerful and how it draws to the deepest part of our emotion, both women and men. So you don't have to look very far. Just interesting, like 35% of internet downloads right now are related to pornography. 45% of all internet users view pornography online. 25%, one in four searches are for it. It's estimated in the U.S. that, that every second, 29,000 users are streaming it. The average first encounter of this is around 10 or 11 years old. I've read it to be younger in the past. Maybe we're doing a better job now of, of, with filters. I don't know. And so what, what is usually said in these moments then is, yeah, okay, all right, well, I can do whatever I want. I can pursue whatever I want. It's my body. And that's absolutely true. You can. But this is not a new argument. This is not a new statement. Maybe you may say that's not even an argument. It's just a statement, right? This is not a new thing. In fact, when we look at the early church, this is very much the thing that was happening. And so we see, you know, after Christ's resurrection, the early, the churches took off and began to spread across the Greco-Roman world. And we see these letters that were written to these churches and these churches popped up in this very amorous type of culture. It was anything goes. And, and so the church stepped in and began to introduce a new sex ethic that began to change the world because women were pushed down and children were pushed down and all of this, they had no rights. And, they, and we stepped in and said, no, everybody has value and it began to change the ethic. And so Paul is writing to this early church in Corinth and he's like, there's, things, there's a different way that Christ has shown us. And this was what they were saying to them. Hey, Paul, we can do whatever we want to. And so he addresses this, and this is amazing. It's found in 1 Corinthians 6. And so he says, you say, I have the right to do anything. Okay. Paul says, no, he says but not everything is beneficial. He's like, don't you know 
Our decisions have life and death power, can lead to our destruction. Because as you say, I have the right to do anything. Okay. He's like, no, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's a phenomenal statement. And he's talking about sex. Just just so you know, this is what the subject is here. (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 no. You can do anything you want, but it will lead to your enslavement. It will master you. So he says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but, you know, God will destroy them both. It will eventually be gone. You know, who cares? It just happens. It'll just, it's, you know, it's, it'll just happen here and then it'll go away. And Paul says, no, let's, let's think about this differently. He says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He's raising the standard. Sexual morality, what is that? It is anything outside of what God designed it to be. He's, he's raising this there. Do you understand how beautiful is what he's saying to them? How much worth and value you have? You are made in the image of God. Your body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body, especially as Christ followers. And so sex and romance are not just peripheral in our lives, but they have life and death power. We underestimate this, the power of sex and meaning in our lives and relationships. And like a boat, something that has great power has the ability to destroy out of control. But it can be, at the same time, something that is an incredible benefit to who you are. And we know this because when things go wrong... Things break off or we've been hurt. The power of sex and relationships comes rushing in. And suddenly you feel like maybe you were too much for the other or you weren't enough. Or you regret what you did. Or maybe you're from the, you feel like you're on the outside viewing in and you just missed out. It's powerful. It pulls at us in a very deep way. And we've all blown it. And so the pain and the pull of loneliness, hurt, or regret, or the fear of missing out, all of that is significant. And so we, we want to lower our standards and give in to what is common. Why is that? Why is it so powerful? Why? Well, it's because of the third thing. So it's beauty. God's called us to beauty. It's powerful. And the third thing is this, is that it, sex impacts you and I Deeply, deeply. It impacts us deeply. And so culture says, well, it's just physical. It's just physical. It's just something you do. And it's fascinating when we see it in media and culture. It's, it's just kind of it's something that happens and it's joked about because it's such a significant subject, right? We're like, wow, we're talking about this, right? So we, we, we generally try to bring humor around that. And that is helpful, you know? So, but, but it kind of makes it to say, well, it's just only physical. That's a myth. And if that were true, then why do we have to legislate so hard around this? Why is it when culture say, just do whatever you want, do whatever you want, but at the same time, all we hear and see are all these CEOs, execs, destroying people and lawsuits and everything happening, people at the pinnacle of the career, this is the thing that is consistently destroying it all. Why is the Me Too movement here and so prominent? 
If it's just physical, then why is this happening? We get it. Like, culture has caught up to what Paul has been trying to show us. And the truth is it's not just physical. It affects you deeply. And so as he continues in this letter to the Corinthians, he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Everything outside of God's design, he says, run away from it. All these things that are competing for you, all the common, run away from it. Get it out of your life. He says, flee from it. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. He says, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He's like, it's different. You hurt somebody, you lie, or you yell at a friend, or, you know, you, you, know, you promise something, you don't come through, like, yeah, I'm sorry, and we, we, we find a way, and we move on that. Like, every, all those sins are outside the body, but this one is different. It affects you deeply inside. You actually feel it. And whether you are a Christ follower or not, you get this. It affects you differently. And then he gives this crazy example, like just to help us understand this. He says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? He's like, do you get how powerful this is? Like in this, this scenario where people are just like paying for this, this one thing to move on and whatever in their lives, he says, he says no, no, no. Because you understand that you are one with her. He says, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. Those are Christ's words. We are united physically. We become one. There's a supernatural thing that God does. It's created for this. It affects you and I deeply. And so this impacts all of this. And I want you to know, as I said, I'm fighting for you, for your future. It means we have scars. But that's what's the, why we celebrate while we sing songs that say our hope is in you because Christ came to bring us, bring us to redemption and to bring us back to the beauty. That's what's so great about this. So no matter who you are, where you're at in your own marriage or your desires for future relationships, whatever has happened for brokenness in your past, God wants to bring us back to the beauty. And what's at stake why do we want to engage with this? What's at stake for you and me is future intimacy. So we're recognizing our past doesn't just go away. It comes with us. Every part of you comes along, comes along with you. And so for intimacy, sex is a creation and was created as an expression of intimacy. That's what it is. And as a vehicle for creation. We get that part, right? I've got three children, right? So it's a vehicle for progression, but it's also God gave it to us and designed it to be an expression of intimacy. And intimacy, what is that? Intimacy is to be known and to be fully known, to yourself completely laid bare and be unashamed. And so everything in culture, the devil is working as hard as he can to detach the sex from intimacy, to pull them apart, because when that is successful, it begins to be common. And this is the part that, that begins to destroy our, our future relationships. It destroys our marriages. We detached ourselves from sex, making it physical. And when that was the case, then we cannot achieve the intimacy it was created to be for. And so what we look at and what, what we hear is like sex is the problem. 
when in reality we've become numb to one another. But God created physical enjoyment to be around safety, security, and a place of peace. And so in our marriages, we want to work and fight for, and I want to say you want to fight for it. You want to fight for that safety, security. You want to push for whatever you can do to recapture the beauty. And when we have a place of trust, safety, security, and peace, intimacy abounds. It abounds. I want you and I to experience that beauty. It has life and death power. And so what this means, if we understand Scripture, is that we've all blown it. (laughs) We've all messed this up. And that there's hurt and there's scars from the past. And I want you to know that the cross of Christ came to restore that beauty and create a place for us to walk back towards that. And this is what's so amazing about what we saw happen and continue to see happen in the church. The early church, the Arizona Christian church, because of Jesus, introduced a new ethic. Introduced a brand new ethic. And it honestly changed the world. We can look at history and we see it happen. We saw it happen. So Paul continues here, and this is 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's the new ethic. That we honor God with our bodies. We say, well, I have my own body. I can do what I want to. That's right. But that will lead you to be enslaved. You can't get away from it. We want to live a different life. We want to honor God with our bodies. If that was our ethic that preceded everything that we did, how different would the world be? If Christ's followers in the world could live out what God has called us to do, how different would culture be around us right now? That we could be an example. And I want to say to you that our culture is longing for this. And they're also longing to make fun of any kind of extreme scenario that they can. And we point it out and I get it. But what we're looking for is this genuine, I want to honor God with my body. And that means I'm going to respect you. And I talked about this in the first week of how women, don't you, wouldn't you just love to go out on dates where you were not wondering where this drink is leading to, but you are, you are pursuing people that say, I want to honor God with my body. What kind of safety and trust would that bring? That changes everything. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathways for your life. So if you're single today, I want you to rethink about the beauty of marriage. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I want to pursue this. But are, are you able to be self-controlled? Are you able to honor God with your body? 
I want you to think about pursuing the beauty of the bear. Now, this doesn't mean that, if, that I'm not saying at all that if you're not married, that doesn't mean that you're not, you don't have a significant life. That's, that is a lie. It's a myth. It's not true at all. And our church is mostly people who are single. But I think marriage has been misaligned so much that we need to reconsider the beauty of marriage. If you're married, how can we reclaim this inner life. I want to encourage you to do whatever you need to, to fight for the beauty. And I love to connect you to resources and other things that help all of us do this together. We can't do it alone. And this also means that we want to reconnect to the story of God. And the story of God is this. He gave us the original beauty. He made everything that you and I long for the world to be, that we wish it could be. And when you can make that statement, that the world could just get back to loving one another and all these different things, that's how God created the world. But we stepped in in this story and we blew it. We messed it up. We walked away and said, God, you don't have the beauty for my life. Like you're holding out on me. And so we walked away and we walked into our own destruction and we engaged what we call sin. And we call this the fall of man. And it's been broken and it is really broken. And we experience that in our lives, especially when we understand that sex affects us deeply. That means that we have experienced great brokenness and hurt and regret in our lives. But God didn't leave us there. He came down to us. And his incredible love for us, he came to take the penalty and the punishment for that, the, the evil that's happening in the world. And Christ's death and resurrection showed his life and power over life. Power over death. And he came to redeem us so that we could be forgiven, to be made righteous, to be washed clean. And the story doesn't end there. He then promises to restore us. And that story is happening, and it's happening, and it's happening. That you and I today can experience forgiveness and restoration. That he's a God of restoring beauty. How incredible is that? Let's walk towards this new ethic to honor God with our bodies. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your words of truth in our lives. And God, I know this is a subject that is, can be so intense. And God, I know today that this subject will bring up emotions that we weren't necessarily wanting to face today. And I pray that we would understand that in the places where we feel shame, it's at that very moment that you came to meet us with grace, mercy, beauty, and forgiveness. And that, that doesn't have to define our lives anymore. And God, I pray today that we would trust you, that you are the best pathways for our life. And I pray that we would walk away from that and walk away towards your beauty of forgiveness and grace and mercy. I pray that we would experience that. And I pray that our marriages that are here today, that they would experience red-hot marriages full of incredible intimacy. I pray for those pursuing that. He would help us to know and to fight for the beauty 
I pray that we would change the way we think about you and this subject. We thank you for the work you're doing, and I pray that we would be an example to this city of how to love one another well. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.